The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Hey everybody, just a quick note here. This week's episode is actually split into two parts. The first part, which you're about to listen to now, is an interview with Bellator fighter Matt Serra, second degree black belt, and host of the MMA and Beyond podcast, John the Manimal Benaducci. Uh, I decided to split it up because I wanted you guys to get your fight coverage. If you're looking for that, that's episode 146B. So go check that out. Manimal joins me for most of that to break down the fights from this week. And this part is a straight interview with Manimal talking about his MMA career. He's got some cool stories from the old school MMA scene in New York uh, all the way through to today, his fight at Bellator 222. So with that, let's jump into your regularly scheduled introduction. Let's go. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 146. Today is Sunday, June the 30th, and we're coming off an awesome fight night card from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Before we get into that, just a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, my co-host, Jeff the Animal Wilson, will not be joining me this week, but I do have a guest co-host join the podcast, so I'll introduce him in just a minute. And I just want to address last week, a lot of you guys called me out for sounding really tired uh, and sick and hungover, et cetera, because I was out till four in the morning at the bare knuckle boxing fights. And then my one-year-old woke me up at seven in the morning sick and then got me sick and I've been sick all week. So I'll try and bounce back this week with a little bit more energy. So to help me out with the energy aspect, I had to bring in somebody who I know is going to bring some energy. I'm replacing the animal this week with the manimal Bellator, oh, yeah. <laughs> Bellator MMA fighter, uh, Matt Serra, Brazilian jiu-jitsu second degree black belt, and also one of the hosts of the MMA and beyond podcast, along with Steve Maraboli and the great Ray Longo. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce John, the manimal Benaducci. Manimal, how are you feeling this morning, my friend? Bill, that's some fucking introduction. Let me tell you, now I'm pretty hyped. <laughs> I was easing into the day. Now my day is well underway. Awesome. Good to go. I, I, I might not be as hyped as I am during fight camp because I am going to smoke a bowl while we record this. <laughs> you know, I'm making, I'm making up for lost time. I think, uh, I think most fighters will understand what I'm talking about. You know, uh, New York is strict with their drug testing. Yeah. So, so you know, that's eight weeks without. Uh, Without any weed, and everyone's like, "Oh, but CBD." I'm like, "But CBD doesn't get you high." That's so, true. Uh, so yeah, but I tell you what, it definitely pays not to, for me, smoke in camp anyway, because then I'm, I'm like, so ready to kill come fight time. Well, that's a good thing. So that's yeah. A good thing. yeah, yeah. But then you're you're on edge, and I know the wife's not happy about that while that's going on, right? Ray and Maraboli joke too. They're like, we can't even deal with you for an hour. They're like, how's your wife deal with you <laughs> all the fucking time? So but, uh, I, we make we make it. it. It works out okay. Yeah. Well, and especially you know, I am the oldest winning featherweight in Bellator. So is that true? Like, I think so. Yeah, 
I'm pretty I'll, sure. I'll have my fact have, checker get on that. Have your fact checker get on. Is there anyone <laughs> over 39 that's won a fight at featherweight? At featherweight, because listen, you can fight older. Yeah. I mean, if we're yeah, if we're talking about heavyweights in Bellator, I think some of them are pushing a hundred. <laughs> in fighter years, fighters age like dogs. Every year is like seven. That's that's a true story. Um, so yeah, you're just coming off your your fight. It was just June fourteenth. Yeah, Two it seems like it was a lot longer ago. And um, I, I don't want to jump into the fight right away. We're gonna give you some shine over the big Bellator win, but I want to talk about your career a little bit. Because obviously, if people don't know of you from your podcast or know of you as a fighter, they're going to Google you uh, after listening to this. Now, looking at your record, you got a 10-year gap where you weren't fighting. So, two questions. What caused you to take the layoff? And then, what motivated you to get back in there after such a long time away? Insanity is the big driver for both. No, so what happened was, listen, I had had, you know, and then I have a, a no contest that's not on there. So I really have um, an extra fight. But, okay. So I can't, so, but whatever. It's, it was nothing anyway. Like, it, uh, so, um, yeah, I had some wins back in the day. Mm-hmm. Then I hurt my shoulder in 2008. And okay. I had to get it reconstructed. I had four anchors put in it. I heard it in training. I had to get the bicep reattached. I totally fucked it up, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I messed everything up inside that inside the shoulder. The rotator cuff, a labrum tear, the bicep came out. I, I heard it rustling, messed it all up. Mm-hmm. Uh, for like six months, I didn't get it looked at, but it just kept popping out. And then one day, it wouldn't pop back in. Oh. I'm like, oh, fuck. So I go to sleep. I go to the doctor in the morning. And he's like, it was like, it was early. It was like 8 or 9 a.m. And he's like, How'd you train so? Why are you training so hard so early in the morning? I was like, no, I did this last night. He's like, mm-hmm. and then what'd you do? I was like, then I went to sleep. I was like, and figured. I, <laughs> I was like, Doc, when my head hits the pillow, I go to sleep always. I was like, so I sleep with any kind of pain. Sure. In camp, in camp, I broke, I dislocated my middle finger, uh-huh. sparring on a Thursday night, and I didn't realize it till I like woke up Friday morning. I was like, oh, I was like, that's weird. Yeah. So yeah, there... I sleep hard, but, um, so I hurt my shoulder. Mm-hmm. I get surgery on it a month after my surgery. I get into a car accident. Oh, geez. And then the anchors came out and I had to get it redone a second time. So then that kept me on the shelf. You know, I couldn't train at all for like a year between mm-hmm. two surgeries, painkillers and ice cream, lots of yeah. hugging dust and depression on my couch. So for a year I didn't train at all. Uh huh. Then for like six months, I just did like rehab. Then six months, I trained with one arm, right? Like, you know, tuck my hand into my belt. Yeah, yeah. And um, now you're talking about two and a half years went by before I was able to like train hard. And mm-hmm. during that time, I had other businesses. So I'm very entrepreneurial minded anyway. Okay. So uh, I think I, I think I was, uh, I had a clothing company I was working on. So I kind of stopped fighting as much and I was coaching more too. I was doing personal training and I started getting involved in CrossFit. Then in like 2011, I wind up getting involved to open up a CrossFit gym. And when you own a gym, you really can't fight, you know? Right. So for five years, I had a gym. Mm-hmm. So that, that gives us nine years now. All right. Yeah. Four years to get 100% from my shoulder. 
then at that time I was like, oh, I haven't really trained as much, you know, jujitsu. Like maybe I was a couple times a week at most. Yeah. I wasn't sparring and shit like that. So I had a gym, uh, CrossFit gym for almost five years and then that didn't work out. And uh, I don't know. I knew I was a little older, but I was like, fuck, you know, I, uh, I just wanted to start training. So I just started training again. I was like, all right, let me get my mind off of, you know, all the shit that was going on in my life. Sure. With, uh, with my gym and I, I went through a bankruptcy that was really rough and lost a fuck ton of money. And I just started training and I was like, all right, this is fun. You know, I, I, I mm-hmm. always loved martial arts and I guess I hadn't trained super hard in a while. And I, I just kind of refell in love with it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then after I was training for a little bit, oh, I did a grappling tournament, I did the North American championships and I won. Okay. And I was like, oh, all right. Uh, and you're, guess, you're a black belt at this point? I'm a black belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been a black belt for years. I was a black okay. belt. I got my black belt in 2010. Before the shoulder injury? or after. No, after, after the shoulder injury. When I started coming back, because you know what happened? Training with the one arm mm-hmm. got me really fucking good in the guard. Okay. Like training with one arm for six months, actually, like, with the gate, right? Yeah. Actually gave me things in my game that now I'm realizing are really fruitful. Mm-hmm. Even I, I did a lot more fighting out of my right lead. Okay. When I hurt my shoulders, I could just jab a lot and kick. So now I fight both leads. Nice. So it like developed me a certain way that would never have happened. Plus okay. that 10 years off, I would never have gotten to fight at the garden. I would have been way retired already. Yeah. That, so that yeah. kind of, that kind of segues into my next question. All that time off, granted you had the injury and stuff that took its toll on your body, but do you feel like not fighting all those years is the reason you're able to still train hard and actually compete at your age now? Or Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be 40. And uh, I think the years... I was talking to one of my friends from CrossFit. Mm-hmm. He just started doing martial arts. And uh, he was like, I don't know how you ever like stopped doing martial arts. like so much fun. And I was like, well, I see what you're saying because you're getting into martial arts. I was like, but if I didn't do that, yeah, I might not be so durable now that time away. Plus, now we train a lot smarter. Yeah, we were training. We weren't that smart a decade ago. The way we trained, it was a lot of hard sparring. I mean, how did I hurt my shoulder? You know, we did nine five minute rounds mm-hmm. of feet to floor wrestling, you know, three weeks out from a fight with old D1 wrestler. It was like <laughs> and then I did another round on top of it. So I did my nine fives and then one of my training partners was like, let's do one more. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good, bro. Yeah, I was like, I'm good, and he was like, "You got a fight coming up," and I was supposed to fight Joel Zone actually. Oh, okay. I hurt my shoulder, yeah. So it was like a big fight, and I, and I and like two minutes into that, I ripped my shoulder out. Like I had done enough. Mm-hmm. I could never see that happening now. Like now, I remember doing six five minute rounds of sparring on a Thursday night, and I was gonna do a seventh round, and I'm steamroller was like, "You did six fives already. You're good, bro." And I was <laughs> like, "You're right. I am good, right?" Like, but back yeah, in the yeah. Day, people wouldn't even said to be like, "Yeah, do another." Yeah. You know, so the training now is a lot better, and I feel great. I felt. I mean, you see my fight; it looked good. Yeah, you did. Um, yeah, no. And it's interesting seeing the guys that are just getting into jujitsu and stuff now, and they're all gung ho about it, and they're training, you know, seven days a week, and they're they're all about it, and they don't understand like why you might need to take a day off here and there because they weren't involved in it, you know couple of years back when it was a lot more intense like now 
guys are like more flow rolling and stuff like that. They weren't in there when people were like trying to rip each other's arms off and like your, your body kind of needs a break after training like that for a while. And I, I think a lot of the newer guys don't really get that, especially the ones that are just doing jujitsu and stuff. And they're not, they're not wrestling. They're not doing this stuff. That's like Wrestling's really, hard, man. really Wrestling's takes its toll. Yeah, I don't think there's anything worse. Um, I mean, but that cage wrestling paid off. I do a lot of it with Aljo. Mm -hmm. A lot of wrestling in the cage. I mean, it definitely paid dividends. And I I just feel, I mean, yeah, I feel like uh, maybe I'm a late bloomer too, you know? It could be. (laughs) And I I fell in love with the sport again. And my first fight back was in Bellator. Mm -hmm. So my manager wound up, you know, selling my jiu-jitsu resume. Yeah. and, um, yeah, my first one back was in Bellator, and I wound up fighting at 155, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I'm 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, on a tall day if I hung upside down all night. Yeah, so, I'm with you, so, man. So I was undersized 55, and I dropped to 45 for this fight, and I felt a lot more comfortable. I mean, not comfortable cutting the weight, but yeah. size-wise, even though, you know, fighting that first fight back after 10 years not fighting, sure. imagine, imagine you hadn't fucked in 10 years and then mm. and then they're like you're gonna build listen we got this porn star your favorite porn star you're gonna bang her all right and the production crew is gonna be there watching you in a studio all right do your best and i feel okay. so when I look at it like that i'm like oh wow i did pretty good bill i i went out there i took the dude down who was a d1 wrestler i had a good exchange with him i wound up getting cut i mm-hmm. feel like i lost my composure when i was cut Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, since then, I've been training 20 solid months yeah. in the gym with fighters every fucking day. Yeah. And it seasoned me back up. And then I was like so relaxed, you yeah. know, and I was comfortable being in the cage. You know, I was able to let my personality come out at the weigh-ins and the, and the walkout, put my leopard print suit on. Yeah, there you go. Hammer. I like to put on a show. I, I want to be an entertainer. <laughs> well, you, that you are. I can I can definitely anoint you that title. Uh, <laughs> you're definitely entertaining. So let me talk to you. I want to rewind a little bit and talk to you about your jiu-jitsu history because you started out at the old school Henzo Gracie's, correct? And then I oh, see you yeah. nodding while you're lighting your bowl, so that's good enough. Oh, and yeah. then uh, you wound up getting your black belt from Matt Sarah. And Let's go on a history journey. Yeah, take take me down memory lane here. How did how did this progression happen? And then how did you end up out on Long Island, being that you you're born in Brooklyn? Because there's not great training in Brooklyn. I wish there was, but mm-hmm. especially when I started, it just so my first the first thing I start, so first wait wait let's back it up. You mm-hmm. know I didn't start doing anything athletic until I was like a sophomore in college. Okay. Until that point, I was about 265 pounds, fat as fuck. You know, I didn't really train. Listen, I failed gym class every year. Every year I failed gym class in high school. I took it in summer school where all you had to do was show up. Yeah, that's a lot of pounds to fit into five foot five. Yo, I was fat. My body fat, <laughs> the cal- I remember getting when I started, my body fat tested. And the caliper stopped at 40%. Ooh. So that's where it stopped. So that's what I had, you know, so it was over that. So and 40 plus. I, 40 plus percent body fat, yeah. Mm. And when I fight, when I weigh in, I'm... I'm so low that the caliper won't pick it up. So under 5%. Nice. Right. So that means all fat loss. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so when I started training, I first, I started working out a little bit. Maybe I was like two thirty, mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know the fighter, Philip Nover. 
Uh, he yeah. was on the Ultimate Fighter season eight, so he is like two or three years younger than me. And uh, I, <laughs> okay, my my family used to have a hardware store in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Now, this kid Philippe was like sixteen, and I guess I was like nineteen, right? So he was like working at my store, like as a stock boy. So mm-hmm. one day we start talking about fighting because I like the UFC, and he was like, "Oh, I do all that," you know. He was like. Uh, he's like, I'm really good. Like he was doing Kung Fu and Jeet Kune Do and shit in Brooklyn okay. uh, with Ralph Mitchell. And I don't know if you, Nardu Dever, he has a school now, Budokan. So okay. we had a few guys like right on the fringe of doing stuff. This is in like 1999, maybe early 2000. So Philippe says he kicked my ass. And I was like 230. I was like, I'll sit on you, you little fuck. <laughs> you know? And uh, I was like, we can fight right now. I was crappy. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Brooklyn. Listen, I wasn't. I was out of shape, but I wasn't afraid to get into a scrap. Okay. So, so he was like, no, why don't you come to my gym? I was like, all right, no problem. I was like, what do I do when I get there? He's like, tell me you want to spar. I was like, all right, no problem. Now, this is the gym of, like, hardcore, old school, like, they were, Ralph Mitchell is, like, I guess he's a Jeet Kune Do guy, but really, he's, like, a really badass, like, kickboxer, and he studied all these different arts, super good. He's mm-hmm. a real old school dude. He came up in like the late 60s, early 70s. Sure. So Ralph Mitch was an old school dude. I go up, I tell him I want to spar. And he's like, really? He's like, where do you train? I was like, I don't. Uh, he's, like, where, he's like, where do you have fights? He's like, oh, a few in the street fights. He's like, all right. Fucking class, two and a half hour class. Oh, you were that guy, the street fight guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, uh, so the first part of class is like a half hour jump rope. Then a half hour conditioning. Then they spar. I'm already tired. So yeah. I'm fucking getting my ass kicked. And our dude sends me with a sidekick across the gym. It was like hardwood floors. Then after 45 minutes of sparring, they're like, now we grapple. Like, <laughs> they had like mats that they rolled out. right? Like, uh-huh. the, the fold-up mats. They take like five old beat-up fold-up mats and we start grappling. They make me grapple Philippe. So I take Philippe down with some sloppy double and he triangles me. Alright. Oh. I tap. Boom. Then uh, he goes to take me down. I fucking guillotined him. I swear nice. to God, my first day over. <laughs> and he taps. And the instructor's like, where'd you learn? And I was like, I watched a lot of fights. <laughs> he was like, all right, whatever. And then I think I rolled a little bit more. And then I'm, I fucking threw up in the bathroom for like a half hour. And I was like, what do you want to do? I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. I think I want to be a pro fighter. He was like, the fuck are you talking about? You suck. I was like, <laughs> I was like I'm not going to suck worse than today. <laughs> That's true. Then, like, four years later, I turned pro, and I was like, see, I told you. I was like, it took some time. I was like, it's going to suck worse. So from here, how did did you end up at Henzo's then? Okay, so, hold on. Me, Nardu, and Philippe were really into MMA. Mm -hmm. But there was not much. So our guys were mostly stand-up fighters. Okay. As far as a ground game, uh, Matt Serra and Rodrigo Gracie, had a school in the back of a karate gym okay. in Valley Stream. And they used to teach out there like three days a week together. What year they is it? 2000. Okay. Maybe early 2000. They had just got their black belts together. It, Matt Sarah and Hajir Gracie, they got their black belts the same day from Henzo. Mm-hmm. So they used to have a school there. And then Matt had another school, the barn, which was like in Babylon. So he had like some Long Island guys he was teaching. And I wound up in Valley Stream. That was the closest thing to Brooklyn where you could get this jujitsu, right? Two black belts. 
Mm-hmm. And we started we started there. Then they were like, well, we're Henzo Gracie affiliated. So they were like, if you go to Hen- you go to Henzo's in the city. And Hadrigo used to teach at Henzo's in the city. Mm-hmm. Matt was always at Henzo's in the city. And I went to school for forensic psychology in Manhattan at John Jay. Okay. So I made my schedule so that I could go to class in the morning, do the noon class. Mm-hmm. At Henzo's, and Dana always liked to teach those morning classes, uh, and always great, right? He was always like a jujitsu philosopher. Okay. So, so his classes were great. Rodrigo used to teach there. Nick Sarah would teach there. Like all Henzo's black, like first black belts, mm-hmm. taught a lot of classes at that school. So we would travel around Henzo's, uh, and then we'd go to the Valley Stream School, but the, the training at Henzo's was great even back in the day. But it was so weird. Guys would come from Brazil, and they would be living there, sleeping on the mat with, like, all their shit. Yeah, it yeah. Meth, it was above the methadone clinic. Crackheads would be up there just, like, shaving in the bathroom. Oh, nice. <laughs> you know, the first time I ever seen transvestites was there. It was great because <laughs> it was, like, <laughs> the first transgender clinic. So I was training at Henzo's then. Rodrigo Gracie and Matt Serra both got their own schools in like 2001-ish. So they, they had like that place for like a year, but it was rough. It was yeah. in the back of a karate gym with doing takedowns on puzzle mats. Right. <laughs> you know, it was brutal. And Rodrigo opened a school in Lindbergh. Matt went further out east. I wound up with Rodrigo Gracie until 2005. I went up to Purple Belt with him. Okay. And at the time we trained, it was, they didn't have a ton of classes. So I was probably in the city training like three, four days a week also. Mm-hmm. And then going with them like three days a week. Rodrigo wound up moving to California. And then I went uh, to train with Sarah from like 2006, like 2005, 2006 when he left until now. So then I've been at Sarah's and with uh, Longo out there. Okay. So from the story you just told me, there were three or four points in this story where 99% of people would have given up on this sport. You know, when you got when you were overweight <laughs> and you got your ass kicked, that you already lose most people off the bat. Most people, that's the first day. That's a bad experience. Yeah. Then the crackheads, the transvestites, the takedowns on the puzzle mats. So you got about four or five opportunities to throw in the towel here. And, uh, <laughs> and you stuck it out. You're still, you're, no still, you're still living this life. I mean, now people give up. When it's easy, they walk into a jujitsu gym and everything's easy, clean, yeah. padded mats, um, and, and you know they get choked out their first day and they want no part of it. So even now, it's still hard for me. I drive an hour and a half, two hours mm-hmm. each way sometimes to go to law, so I get the best training. Yeah, you know. And even Ray said it. What do you say? He was like, "Oh, he was like when I watch him animal spar, I'm like, all right, you know." He's like, "But it's hard to tell because he's fucking sparring with killers." It's like, yeah. You know, it's the truth. It's like, fuck, like, who's, like, could I do that? I probably couldn't do that in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. Like, it's worth it to go out. And yeah. then that's for the fight. I mean, I did that for a while. Now I'm more in maintenance mode. I'll probably go out there. You know, I'm not going to train 30 hours a week when I don't have something to do. Yeah, I'll yeah. I'll dial that back to, like, 10 hours a week of training. I do a little more strength and conditioning. So, and then I'll see what's, uh, what's up next. You know, I, I do more coaching now. It's, it definitely takes me some time. I got some injuries from the fight. Sure. You know, yeah, you got to I mean, heal those up. You know, even a fight that you don't look like you took damage, like sometimes I'll go to do something 
and I'm like, what the fuck did I do to my to my wrist? Yeah. I'm like, shit. Or, so, or I'll move a certain way, and I'm like, my, what the hell happened to my hip? You know, and those things are just like little things that just take some time. You don't realize, you know, when you go 100%. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, I'm lucky. I've had way, you know, I've had fights where I had to go to the hospital and get stitches and I yeah. broke my elbow. My, my first fight back, my first fight back, the first kick this kid throws, uh, uh, the fight at Mohegan Sun breaks my elbow. Boom, I block it. And you Oof. hear that shit last. I, yeah. I don't notice. I picked up the timing off that kick on his kick. So it breaks me up, boom, and I'm like, all right, boom, I picked the timing up. When he threw it again, I take it, catch the kick, crack him, take him down. Now he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> that dude's like a good wrestler, right? Yeah. And I'm on top of him, and I got so, you know what the problem was? I lost my composure. I got too hyped. I was like, manimal. I'm telling myself, 10 years on the shelf, that ain't shit for you. And I started <laughs> opening it up big. And I do you always call yourself Manimal when you talk to yourself? It depends. When, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just checking. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean. <laughs> well, so, when I'm fighting, I do. Yeah, I'm like, come on, Manimal. Stop the bullshit. Yeah, I, I think a, a lot of people don't realize, like, when the adrenaline's going, you're digging into places and you're using muscles that you don't use even when you're training regularly. Um, I'm not going so, that hard in training. If, I, if you go that hard in training, everyone's gonna think you're a dick. That's true. <laughs> I I I'm know. Gonna fucking squeeze you and not let you go. Like I caught, I was watching. I caught this grip, uh-huh. and when I turned with it, I saw the fucking veins on my hand through the screen, like <laughs> I was holding so tight. I'm not gonna. Mm-hmm. You're gonna do that in training. No one's. Gonna, you're not gonna do that in training, right? Like, yeah. It's just hard to get that intensity. Some guys do that in training, and they're dicks. <laughs> <laughs> you call them assholes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, <laughs> and it, it's always the days where you're like, I'm just going to go light today that you end up rolling with that guy. <laughs> Bro, it's fucking, it's Valhalla out there where I'm from. Yeah. Unless, um, unless you're injured, you have to go hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like expect that I'm gonna have to go hard unless I have like an injury, you know. And I'm like, listen, I'm sitting out. I'm just gonna do technique. That's the way it goes. Ego is a motherfucker. Yeah, All right, I wanna I wanna talk about your uh, your Bellator fight. So Bellator 222. It was two weeks ago. Uh, for those of you who didn't catch it, Kenny Rivera was your opponent. Now, uh, before true. before I I talk about the fight itself, uh, Kenny. I believe they said on the broadcast is a purple belt under John Danaher. So you guys kind of run in the same circles. Have you guys ever interacted before the fight? Or I know there's, you know, a hundred thousand people that come in and out of Henzo's in the city, but you yeah, never, you know, uh, it's funny. We never, we actually have a lot of similar, have had a lot of similar training partners, similar coaching, mm-hmm. but never ran into each other. Actually. Yeah. The first time I met him was at the weigh-ins. You know, yeah, and uh, which was nice too because he put on a little showmanship, which I like. I came out in a three piece leopard print suit for the white in, mm-hmm. and he had the Assassin's Creed outfit, you know. So, Henry yeah. Gracie's backstage, he's like, Poha, he's like, You guys are friends, you're fighting on the same card. We're like, No, we're fighting each other. He's like, Oh, you guys coordinated, <laughs> and we're like, No, this is by accident. He's like, 
I got to take a picture with you guys. <laughs> so Hedzo is like, man, he tells me, he's like, man, you got more style than Muhammad Ali. I was like, <laughs> I think so myself, actually. Yeah. That's a pretty good Henzo impersonation, too. Man, <laughs> I told him. I so it, it's pretty incredible, right? Because the, when you started out, however many years ago, and Almost 20 years ago, so 20 years ago, 2000, it's call it. you could probably name every person who trained in the tri-state area. Now you Go fought a, you fought a guy in Bellator who has some of the same coaches, some of the same training partners, and you guys never even trained together before. Never even met. Yeah, never trained together. It's just so crazy. that really speaks to the growth of the sport. That's actually a really There's cool. There's no way that could have happened back in the day. Yeah. Right? Like I remember, like it was so, like you would have gyms spies because like you knew everyone that trained near you mm -hmm. so if you fought a guy that was from like a different gym mm -hmm. it was very closed off right like you would almost fear the gym spy or try <laughs> you know you'd be like oh this new guy who's this guy over here yeah who's that guy who the fuck are you right now man i go to henzo's in the morning there's 60 70 guys in a 7 30 a.m class yeah I don't fucking know half of them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's so. pretty incredible. And a lot of them are good. Even if you meet them, uh, if you see them again in two weeks, you're not going to remember their name. <laughs> you know. I mean, so although I do, you know, I like a little bit of a mix. But I see most of my training for MMA, I'm going to, to Longos. You know, I'm going to law. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to, MMA is its own sport. You know, and I'm doing jujitsu two to three days a week. But when we do the cage wrestling, I get to work my jujitsu in there. My yeah. goal, my goal as a jujitsu practitioner. So listen, and also the mindset of jujitsu mm -hmm. is what I try to take with me. When we first started doing jujitsu, the only reason we did jujitsu is to have it be applicable when we fought. Right. Whether that's in the street, in the cage. I also did stick and knife fighting when mm -hmm. we did weapons arts. So everything we did, we were like, all right, how's it going to look in the fight? Whether it's a fight in the cage, in the street, you know, in the gym, however, how's it going to be most effective? So I try to make my jiu-jitsu very effective for MMA. And there was a few things I did in my fight that I wouldn't have done in the traditional jiu-jitsu setting. Like instead of like trying to take the back, he escaped the back because he's very explosive mm -hmm. and, and savvy. He's a good purple belt, right? I'm the Danaher. That's a good quality jiu-jitsu Sure. I'm not fighting white belts. I'm not Dylan Dennis. You know? <laughs> oh, man. Shots fired. Yeah, I wish that guy was fucking not so fat. If he was <laughs> a little lighter, I think that would be a great matchup for me. You know? How tall is he? It's not that he's... He, he fought at 175, which right. is in a weight class. Yeah, they made it up for him. Like, why? Okay, listen. You can fight at a catch weight if you want to be an entertainer. Mm -hmm. And even I don't, because I'm like, make the fucking weight class. I'm competing in the sport. What's the weight class? 145 is the weight class. That's the weight class you make. Pick a weight class. 155, yeah. 170. Until they change it, pick a weight class. Unless you don't care about any kind of aspirations in uh, rankings. Right. But if you're going to act like you do, then you have to make a weight class. Yeah. I mean, the guy's taking pic you, pictures with all these Bellator belts and stuff. I mean... I it, it's a it's a show. It's like listen, the guy he fought. Uh, 
was a white belt in jiu-jitsu pretty much. Like, you know, I, like I had a tougher opponent for jiu-jitsu because I was trying to finish. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's tough to finish a good guy. And well, oh, my jiu-jitsu, I, I couldn't go to take the back as much. I was playing hugging the hip a little different, uh-huh. more working the half guard, trying to mount, get him against the cage, control the far wrist. Right. You know, like I had to work a different game that you probably wouldn't work if you just went to like the gym and did jujitsu. Mm-hmm. If you played that game, guys would think you were like being weird. Like you, you know what I mean? Like they would be like, oh, you know, being patient, like maybe with the game, but who the hell's going to, you know, and yeah. the cage makes it different. The cage adds its own element. So yeah, I like to train in the cage a lot when I'm. Gotcha. So speaking of training against the cage, I want to talk about one sequence in your fight where you were on bottom uh, half guard and you kind of slid into an Ashi position and rolled into a heel hook. Uh, it looked like you were a little shallow on the knee and he yes. was he, he did the right thing. He defended properly and he rolled out of it. But uh, the other thing I noticed was that your grip on his heel was a little high up on your forearm. Is that because of the gloves? Now, I've heard you talk about um, you would like to see bare knuckle MMA because the gloves hinder, hinder grappling. Do you feel like the gloves uh, really get in the way of heel hooks? It depends where, where you initially bite, mm-hmm. but it is difficult to go on the glove because you can't slide it up because the glove has a little bit of thickness here. Right. So if I don't catch it by the thumb, mm-hmm. then I'm going to wind up by the forearm Yeah. because I won't be able to slide. It's going to be stuck right there. And then it's easier to roll out. Easier to roll out. However, then I'm able to use that knowing that this is going to become a lower percentage submission finish. Mm -hmm. It's a higher percentage sweep. You have to respond to that heel hook. Yeah. Also, I am going to break your leg. Yeah. So you have to roll out of it. You have to defend it. Right. Once you defend it, I followed him back up Mm -hmm. knowing the bite wasn't that great. You know, but I went for it 100% as if the bite was... (laughs) Yeah. I'll still break something. Sure. You, you know, if I can. So make you defend it. And then I followed him back up. I was on bottom. Now I get into a position where I'm uh, able to bring the fight back up to a more advantageous position for myself. Yeah. And then I did that little cage walk. I knew mm-hmm. where I was. I walked my feet up the cage. You know, I was very present in that fight. You know, everything came together the right way. It was, I definitely peaked. Yeah. You know, that night I peaked perfectly that night. And that's, that's something you. About. That's something you have to drill because you can't just slip into a heel hook like that just practicing jujitsu in open space. You have to actually work that up against the cage, right? I work it a lot. Yeah, I work I work a lot of different submission positions against the cage and in mid-octagon too. And then you yeah. have to remember there's another factor. The cage, the flooring is canvas right? in the, in the actual fight, which you never mm-hmm. get to train on. So That's a good no, point. There's no time in your training where you're on canvas mm-hmm. ever. The only time you ever feel the canvas is against is in in combat. Mm-hmm. Now I can maneuver the opponent better on canvas. You slide better on canvas, actually. Yeah. You don't slide as well on the mat. So I actually a couple times were able to maneuver him just a centimeter away from a certain spot to to not let him get the chance to get up. Which when sure. I train in the on mats, you can't get that same uh, movement off of them because there's friction between their shirt, the, the, the vinyl, 
Yeah. So there's a lot of interesting little things. Maybe I'm overly perceptive. I don't know. But, yeah. But there's a lot of little things going on. That, right? That's interesting. I never really thought about the, the canvas before. But, You're um, only on canvas in combat. That's it. Never, ever other than that. Yeah, that's a great point. But back to the heel hook. So you're saying if you bite it just right where the heel lands on your wrist, the, uh, glove, now the, you're good. the glove makes it stick a little. Yep. Now you're solid because there's a piece of duct tape there too. Yeah. Right? That's what the commission put. So now you're gold. You probably could finish that heel hook. Yeah. But an inch off, and now I'm stuck below it. Right. And you can't that, slide it down because of the that's glove. That's why I say I think bare knuckle MMA would favor – the grappler. Sure. Now I have the full mobility of my hands. Mm -hmm. And you don't have the ability to really crack me with a hard punch. Yeah. You would see the striking look different, maybe hammer fists, which I wonder why bare knuckle boxing doesn't develop a different style. Hammer fisting, maybe. Yeah. Maybe the straight blast from, uh, you know, like why not do some different stuff in there? Yeah. Or if I it's MMA, develop open palm strikes like the old Boss Rutten oh, days. Increase, yeah open palm stuff i was using some palm you know sometimes you just want to smack a guy yeah hey, even with the gloves want, even no with the glove yeah i want to yeah. smack him you know because it varies up the the stimulus right i hit you with a punch i smack i smack you yeah right? an elbow a backhand I, like you want to chain vary the stimulus they're receiving so, sure. so not everything feels the same um if you guys don't know what I was talking about with Manimal's fight, there's a he put a clip of it on his Instagram, John the Manimal Benaducci. Uh, so you can oh, go, yeah. you can go. <laughs> At so, John the Manimal Benaducci, that's the best place to find me, guys. Please. Yeah, I should have um, let now, I should have let you do that. But I've um, got a lot of good content now. I got yeah, some good clips from the fight. Lots of great technique for the jujitsu guy. I think my fight. I don't want to sound cocky, but it's a good study. You know, you yeah, know, for sure. Some good jujitsu in MMA. You know, I'm very great. I'm very grateful that I was able to use my techniques and my skills in there that I worked my for whole sure. life on. So I'm very grateful for that. You know, I'm happy it came out that way. Yeah. Um, so while you're listening to this, go check out the Instagram so you can see the clips we're talking about. Now, I want to stick with the Kenny Rivera fight. You had an awesome corner, uh, and you and I have a, a couple of uh, mutual acquaintances, by the way, which I, I'll probably bring up a couple of times. But, of course, you had the great Ray Longo in your corner, but Longo is is very boxing-minded. He's got a great mind for MMA, but if you want to get to the fight to the ground, you're going to need a little extra help. Now, I saw you had my boy, the steamroller, in your corner. Uh, I, I spotted him right away. He's hard to miss. Uh, so how did it benefit you having a UFC fighter like Matt Steamroller Frivola in your in your corner during this fight? Dude, I want to thank the whole corner was fantastic. So Ray, you know, just having him in between, getting to go to the next rounds mm -hmm. for Ray in the corner. He's like, man, Matt, I'm always like, can you do that another two rounds? <laughs> well, I wanted to finish him in the second round, but I can go two more if I had to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I guess I could. You know, Ray's really great. And then uh, Steamroller and my other corner man, Manny, uh, African Samurai. Okay. He, uh, between the two of them, they were great. You know, they, they, they worked together well, even though that was the first time I think they worked a corner, and it was at the Garden, too. Yeah. And they were great. Like, Steamroller, he met me early that day, fight day. So, listen, the corner men, you know, my guys, they were with me, you know, not just the night of the fight. They, they were there 
you know, Manny, uh, the tall, the tall one on my corner, mm-hmm. he, he drove me to the city the day of the weight cut. And that was brutal because I yeah. was dying. Cause I was actually, I wasn't going to die because death said I wasn't there yet, but the land, the living said I wasn't quite there yet. So I was in a weird spot for like 10 hours of, uh, of Thursday morning in between life and death there. And Manny walked me through. Mm-hmm. You know, so that weight cut was a little rough. But uh, Manny picks me up. So he picked me up from my house. He lives in the Bronx. Picks me up in Brooklyn to drive to Madison Square Garden in the city. Now, I'm three pounds off that morning. So that's of two hours of driving right there. Hour and a half. It was an hour and a half. <laughs> so I throw on the vinyls, right? So I throw mm-hmm. on the vinyls, Albaline, and... uh and sweats, right? And he puts the heat on 100. Now, okay. man, he's in sandals and a tank top and, like, he's going to the beach, right? Yeah. And I'm in the vinyls and I'm fucking sweating balls in there. It's, like, 110 degrees in the car. I'm sweating. <laughs> I'm sweating. I got a hat on, a hoodie over it, trying to lose these three pounds. And we get to the city. He parks the car in a lot. And I just laid on the floor in the parking lot. And the parking lot, it's like, you can't just lay here. So I walk, like, right outside the lot and I'm on like 33rd Avenue in Manhattan and I just laid on the fucking concrete and Manny's like you gotta get up I was like well I can't get up right now I was like no I didn't say I can't get up right now I was just like no <laughs> but in that area of Manhattan nobody's batting an eye uh, <laughs> at a guy wrapped in vinyls laying down on the sidewalk right, a fucking you, beard looking, yeah. you're, you're one of a hundred on that block you just yeah, happen yeah, to be the, the only one that's doing it for a reason. <laughs> yeah, the dude next to me looked rough too. So. <laughs> but he just lives there. He just lives there. He was actually over the grate to get like warmth. That was hot enough. So after like 15 minutes, now it starts pouring rain on me, which actually invigorated me to finish my weight cut. Uh-huh. So now I'm like, okay, I get up. And I'm like, all right. I go to the hotel gym. And I'm like, I still have more weight to lose. Like, I knew I wasn't there yet. Yeah. You know, I was like, I know I'm not there. I was like, so I went on the bike. And I went on the bike for like a half hour. Mm -hmm. And I stripped everything down. I get on the fucking scale. You get a pound allowance. It's 146.2. Right. And then it's toggling between 0.0.2. Now I'm on the freaking scale. Across from you on the scale is like all the media. And so all the media is there taking pictures. I'm like, fuck. So I'll go to drop my underwear and they're like, wait, they're like, let's get a towel. <laughs> so I'm like, fuck it. So I drop my drawers. They put a towel across and I'm looking at that number on the scale. It was like the most stressful moment of my entire life. Cause to lose those 0.2 pounds, if it wasn't in the underwear, I would have had to put those fucking gross, sweaty Albaline covered vinyls back on. Oh. And start working out more. And I was, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was like in the, I was like, dude, bad shape. And Manny was like, you know, trying to help me. It was tough. And then mm. uh, I dropped my drawers, point zero. Boom. Then I started rehydrating. Then I, you know, started to feel all right once I started to re up. Yeah. Um, and I was at the fight. So I was 146 at the weigh in. And then I was about 162 at the fight, 163. Okay. And I felt and solid. I, and I, I've been following your Instagram since the fight, and I, I've seen that you've eased up on the diet a little bit. Oh, so what, God. what are we walking around at now, Manimal? Oh, I'm not going to step on the scale. But if I had to guess, <laughs> if I had to guess what I'm at, 
Mm-hmm. I got to be in the one, the mid one seven. I got to be 170 to 175. Okay. And I think that's what a big 45-er should walk around that offseason. Yeah. Because I'll lose 10 pounds the second I get in. The second I fucking stop eating donuts, I'll lose 10 pounds. Right. Right. Yeah. And I'm also not out of control. Like, I'm eating good meals. Yeah, yeah. But they're good quality meals that have a lot of calories, which is – and I'm active, you know, so I don't mind walking around to, like, 170. That's a good spot for me. Then once I start camp, I'll drop 10 pounds easy quick. And then after that, I like to spend the whole camp at, like, low 160s. I want to be in the fight when I am in my camp. Right. So if I do my whole camp at 162, 163, mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to be at the fight. So I, I'm used to my body the whole time, pretty much, at that weight. Yeah. Okay. Um, we might have to... to uh, I might have to break this up into two episodes because this is all great stuff. But just one more thing yeah. about your fight. So... You had the 10-year layoff, the injuries, everything like that, and it all culminates with a win at Madison Square Garden (laughs) for a native New Yorker born in Brooklyn, lives in Brooklyn, trains on Long Island, Hansel Gracie, the whole thing. So 39 years old, Manimal, uh, where do you go from here? Like, Does it get better than that? Do you try to get it better than that? Do you go out on that note? Are you any of these thoughts going through your head, or you just – want to ride the high and figure it out later. So I do. Listen, of course I want to enjoy that because I have to heal up anyway. So there's no reason to think about mm-hmm. anything too crazy. Then I do a training camp in upstate New York, a uh, mm-hmm. training camp where I have like, we call it, we take guys from average to savage. Okay. You know, we take, here's my story, right? I, I started at the lowest point you can as far as fitness. Now I'm a professional athlete. Sure. So I like to use my story, right? if I could use it as inspiration to help someone who might be in their own mind, mediocre Mm -hmm. me, I was even less than that. I think, uh, to then get to the top, you know, whatever that might be for them. I like to try to help, but I got a lot of experience. No bullshit here. Yeah. I remember I'm fucking drug tested. Right. Uh, I'm older. I'm an older guy. You know, Mm -hmm. I was heavy as fuck. I was fat. So I know what it's like to not be in good shape. I have mm-hmm. my shoulder replaced twice, you know? I mean, to come back from that, most guys ride that story itself to the death. And I have that on top of all my other shit. Yeah, you know? for so sure. So at my training camp, we, I take guys uh, guys and girls. I have We have a place in upstate New York where we can really And where, where in upstate is this? Cold Spring, like an hour from New York. Okay. But we got a place for it because of land, pool, hot tub. We got recovery there. We do three workouts in a day. Teach people how to eat right. Okay. Try to think the right way too. I like to have people come away for two days. So really, I want to see how do they think about things, right? How, like you said, I could have quit any point. Mm-hmm. So many points I could have quit. You know, but what, why is that the most readily available option to you? Yeah, it is like what what's going on in your head that makes you such a fucking quitter? You yeah. know, like what? It, listen, if you don't want to do something, don't do it. Don't talk about it. Don't do it. Yeah, I don't. I don't talk about wanting to be a figure skater. It's not something I want to do. Right? <laughs> okay. So, okay. I yeah. appreciate you know. It's just not something I want to do. There's a lot of there's a lot of Facebook fighters out there. You know, well, not they, just even fighting. Even like I, you know, I, I, as a coach, mostly in the fitness industry, mm-hmm. people always say they I want to do this. I want I want to get stronger. I want to lose weight. I want to, and they don't do it. And I'm like, 
just don't say anything. Shut the yeah. fuck up. Because if you say it, that's my field. I want to help. I believe in everyone first. Right. So if you tell me you want to do something, Bill, if you were like, yo, John, you know what? I want to get an amateur fight in. I don't know if you have any fights or whatever. Do you? Did you fight before? Uh, a couple smokers. But it's, it, fun, yeah. it's not it's not for me. I, I train to be an analyst. I'm not. Yeah. No, I'm just curious. Yeah. 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 So. Um, but whatever it is that you wanted to do, even if you were like, I want to get my black belt, you know. Yeah. What do you think I need to work on? Let's, you know, I'll be like, oh, yeah, you want me to be black belt? Let's do it. I like mm-hmm. that. I'm behind it. You know, if there's a way I can help, I'm into it. So Yeah. And you could help but, people with a roadmap to get there. Yeah. Otherwise, don't say shit. I just don't like when people, like, if you don't want to do it, I don't want to hear it. So, yeah. So people's minds fuck them up a lot. Like, why are you even talking about it? Yeah. Why, <laughs> like, don't even occupy mind space with it. Work on stuff that you're actually going to follow through with. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I that that kind of stuff bothers me too. Even if it's something small, if somebody's like, "I really want a cheeseburger," like, "Well, go fucking eat it then." Like, why are you talking about? It? <laughs> hey, don't keep talking about it if you're not gonna do it. <laughs> and then they'll order a salad. Like, why are you talking about the cheeseburger? Just eat it. Well, you know what's funny? Even like when I'm cutting, I had uh, two of my students just came to watch me like the beginning of the cut to make sure I didn't die. Mm-hmm. Which the beginning is easy. So two of my students live in the neighborhood and I was like, um, I was like, oh, just keep an eye on me. And they were like afraid to eat in front of me. And I was like, bro, I know what I have to do here. Nothing you do is going to throw me off what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, like, am I eating a burger now? Yeah, because I can. Yeah. Train, but if I tell myself I have to make this weight class, I'm training for a fight. Guess what? I'm not eating a fucking burger. You for know, sure. it's, just not, it's not part of the plan. There's nothing like, listen, as much as I'm a wild guy. There's nothing like when a plan comes together. Yeah. 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 You could still be, you could still be disciplined. And, yeah, and me, exactly. I, it, it's, it's interesting. Discipl- because- it's not even discipline. It's not discipline because the things that you don't want to do, you never do. Like, um, no matter what's around. Yeah. So if you don't like shooting heroin, you don't see fucking junkies on the corner and say, Oh, you know what? I think I want to do that. You're like, uh, <laughs> I don't think I want to do that, right? You're like, eh. yeah. So, if there's something that you want to do, you're gonna do it. So if it's something, so I put it in my head. It's something I don't want to do. Like mm. when I'm training for the fight, I don't want to eat a donut. I don't. That's right. I do now because I'm smoking a bowl, and I told myself that's okay. This is the time to do that. Yeah. When it's the time that you you don't want to do it, that's <clears> it. You don't want to. I just told myself I don't want that donut. That's it. Yeah. Because I, what I want is to fucking have my hand raised at the garden, you know, and that triumphs yeah. over anything else I want, you know, so I don't want that done. No, because I know what that donut represents. I got you. So really? instead so, of, instead of, uh, being disciplined, you're saying you got to reprogram your mindset basically. Exactly. Cause discipline, I don't want to always have to make, <laughs> okay. I'm a dungeons. I love dungeons and dragons. I don't know if you like, I don't okay. know if you like D and D. No, yeah, but I'm sure my my co-host would love to talk to you about it fuck. sometime. <laughs> but whatever. So in D and D, you have like something called a saving throw. You have to make a check. Okay. Uh, and one of them is a will check, a willpower check. All right. And if you fail this willpower check, well, you failed your willpower check. Now you have to do the thing. So mm-hmm. let's say you see a beautiful sorceress and she tries to charm you. You fail your willpower check. You're doing whatever she tells you. Yeah. So discipline is trying to make the not fail. So that's like, oh, I see that donut. Use my discipline. I'm going to roll and see, am I going to fail this one? So, okay. 
I don't want to have to make the roll. I just don't do it. You know, it's like I don't, I don't want to <clears throat> eat the donut. I just don't do it. That's you, it. Uh... I don't want to be like, oh, I really want to, but I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to control myself and not eat it. It's like, no, I don't want to eat it. And now I'm eating the fucking donut. I don't need to control myself. I, I see what you're saying, <laughs> but. Uh, you you had me you had me with the porn star analogy. Uh, you lost me a little bit with the Dungeons and Dragons, but I do get the point. <laughs> I do get the point. Um, if someone knew Dungeons and Dragons, if someone was a D and D player, they would know. <laughs> my wife, my wife understands. She plays Dungeons and Dragons. That's how well, we fell in love. <laughs> that's a beautiful we story. Did you really in Tuxedo, yeah. New York? Uh, we had we went to the one in Connecticut when we oh, okay. got married. It was so long ago they weren't doing them at the New York. <laughs> oh, okay. I've been I've to been that one in almost eleven years. Congratulations! Yeah, like, that's a that's a big achievement these days. It is a big achievement. I mean, um, uh, it's a it's a lot of work, but it's well worth it. I've been to the one in Tuxedo. That's a good time. That's a good one. Yeah, it's a good time. Lots lots of alcohol. <laughs> I dress and, up. I mean, <laughs> that that ropes me in. <laughs> they used to do the they used to do the pub crawl where they would give you a pin yep. and it, every time you went to a pub they would tie a ribbon around it and then uh i went one year and they stopped doing that and i was like oh, fuck i'm never Guys, coming we back too, they were getting too fucked up yeah i guess so well that's, getting, they can't hang yeah they couldn't have, i'm telling you they were getting really fucked up they couldn't reprogram their mindset to not be a drunk asshole it's yeah, a problem be a they should be like yeah i'm gonna <laughs> be a fun drunk now just tell yourself that um so listen manimal you have an awesome story and i appreciate you sharing it with the audience i'm probably if you got time to still hang out and talk about the fights from this weekend yeah, let's do it and spoiler alert we wound up splitting it into two episodes so if you guys are looking for the fight breakdown coverage with the manimal tune in to episode 146 b if you have not already and either way cheers everybody goodbye <laughs>